Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go, and say this, say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of his people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste, without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak. Those whose uh, who stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here and see you all. Uh, I saw some college students back today, so welcome back for your winter slash spring break. And uh, before we begin, let's start with a prayer. God, gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So make us hungry now for this heavenly food that it may nourish us today in ways of eternal life through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. Amen. So now we are on the second part of Isaiah chapter 6. And in the second part of Isaiah chapter 6, we're also on the second part of holiness. And so if you have not been here before, what we are doing in the six weeks of Lent is we're taking two weeks each on the subject of what we pray about, which is holiness, unity, and maturity. Every Saturday we get together and we lift up uh, this prayer that our church be holy, that our church be united, and our church continue to mature in Christ. And so this is our second part of holiness. And if you were here last week or if you listened to the message last week, God is holy. And this is what is being exclaimed by the seraphim that we see in the Bible. We, we went over this last week, but nowhere Ever has there been in the Bible or anywhere else where we see a character of God raised to the power of three? Nothing was raised to the power of three, but his holiness. So that's something that we must continue to keep in mind. That when God wants us to know something about himself to the nth degree, what would that be? It would be his holiness, his complete otherness, his separateness. And today we're going to continue on because... Isaiah chapter 6 doesn't end with verse 7 or verse 8. Uh, it's easy to stop there, but actually it goes all the way down, chapter 6 to verse 13, and the book continues to go all the way to the end as well. But the reason why we have to continue to go on past verse 7 is that a spiritual experience is never, I'm going to say this again, a, a spiritual experience, even if you had the spiritual experience, it is never an end in itself. A spiritual experience is never an end in itself. Uh, John Oswald wrote this about 
passage, the passage past verse 8. He wrote, uh, almost all sermons on Isaiah 6 conclude with verse 8, probably because of the frankly disturbing character of the remainder of the chapter. So when we continue to read, ah, holy, holy, wow, it's amazing, God is amazing, good. And then verse 8 and on, you're just like, what, what's happening here? And so the reason why I think it's important for our church to continue to exegete and exposit and go through every verse is that we don't pick and choose. We don't pick and choose what to believe or take from the word of God. If we pick and choose what to believe or take from the word of God, I believe we pick and choose someone that is not Jesus. And so we start off today, today's passage, and it's written, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Visio Dei, or the vision of God, always follows with the Missio Dei, or the mission of God. So the vision of God is always followed by the mission of God. And so we see a pattern in the Bible and also here in this passage, which is why I think just the Bible is incredible, but this passage is especially incredible because God appears, creation trembles, rightfully so, because sin is exposed, yes, but more importantly, because God is holy, so creation trembles. So God appears, creation trembles, then God forgives and he heals, and finally we see that God sends. There's a pattern that we see in the Bible is God appears, creation trembles, God forgives, he heals, and then he sends. This sending is an incredible privilege that for some reason God, through his infinite wisdom, decides to use his creation to participate with him in the declaration of the divine message. It's incredible because as holy and awesome as God is and the message that he comes down is so amazing, the divine message, he chooses us to spread the message. And so, this is an incredible privilege. But this is not the first time it's in the Bible. In fact, in Leviticus, six times it's written, Be holy, for I am holy. Six times. And the seventh time we see this passage is in 1 Peter uh, ver, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, 16, about be holy because I am holy. So God shows his holiness to us, and then he commands us to also be holy. It's not just to be like, whoa, God, you're amazing, and then that's it, but does something to us. And so the question now is, how do you become holy? I get it. Like, God is holy. The seraphim said it three times, holy, holy, holy. We get it. But what does that mean for us? And how do you be holy? How are we holy? I kid you not, if you look it up in Google, there's a wiki page and shows you 12 steps on how to be holy. And the page is titled, 12 steps on how to be holy, parenthesis, with pictures, close parenthesis. People wanna know how, how to be holy. And we'll Google it, we'll look wherever we can. And I wanna tell you this, the answer is actually quite simple. It's follow and obey what the Bible teaches you. Follow and obey what God says to do, which is the word of God, which is the Bible. Recognize the impossibility of following that 
but also trusting that it is God who sanctifies you. But the glaring evidence we see here in Isaiah is now after witnessing the holiness of God, he is a changed life. He is no longer the same. Uh, I went to a wedding yesterday with Esther and I got to catch up with a lot of people that I haven't seen in maybe years, some, some 10 plus years, ever since I moved to New Jersey and started working as a pastor here. And so people would comment on um, a lot of things, like my weight or something like that, and I haven't seen you in a long time, so weight fluctuates. But a lot of people, more people than I thought would say, you know what, I really respect what you do because I cannot do what you do. And I would ask, what is it that I do that you cannot do? It's like, you know, like do this all the time. Like pastor and read the Bible. It's like, oh yeah? He's like, yeah. It's like, and then they ask me, what, what do you do? Like, what's a hobby of yours? Do you have hobbies? And it's like, I really like reading and studying the word. My dream is one day I get to stay home and read as many commentaries as I can. <laughs> So I talk with the elders, like, can I buy more commentaries? But um, so I exercise uh, when I have time. He's like, see, and then they were saying, you see, you need a hobby. You need to do something else. But honestly, I thought about that. I thought about it a lot. When you see God, when you witness the holiness of God, I believe a life has changed. When you finally see that God really isn't just about words saying holy, 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 but you literally witness holy, 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 you are never the same. Never the same. The things that you thought were important, that were big, like, I, I, and I was honest, I said, you know what, I have been thinking about learning how to play golf because all my pastor friends know how to play golf and I don't play golf, so when they go golfing on Tuesday, I can't uh, join them. And so maybe I'll take up golf. Uh, I just said that. I, I have no interest in taking up golf. But, you know, maybe. I don't know. Um, but honestly, the big thing is important. We're focusing on hobbies. We're focusing on the little things. You know what happens? Then we lose sight of the big thing. And the question I asked the brother is, what's the big thing in your life? What's the big thing in your life? And they honestly couldn't answer back. What's the big thing? Is it success? Is it right now? Right now, maybe your business isn't doing well or your career isn't going the way you wanted and you have the ceiling, whatever it is, it's a glass ceiling or a bamboo ceiling, whatever, whatever you want to call it or it's just a ceiling of life. One day you're just going to mm, bust through, right? That ceiling and that's what you're waiting for. Is that the big thing in your life? And when is that going to happen? And when it happens, can you let me know? Can you let me know when you're finally happy and satisfied? I can tell you for a fact that no one I know has had that experience outside of God. No one I personally know. And so when we say holiness is important, it's not just saying holiness for the sake of holiness. It's saying there is something incredibly larger than us that blows us away, that God is showing us we need to look at. So when we gather together, you know what we don't do? We could do it, but we don't do is we focus on the little things in life. We don't make in this gathering a priority 
where we're going to go golfing after today's service. That's not our priority. I'm not putting that up on the screen. <clears throat> I find that funny because we did put up where we're going to play basketball. But that, that's, that's different. That's fellowship, so that's fine. But that's not a priority of our service. It's we know what the big thing is. We know what the incredibly most important thing in all of life is. What is eternal and what is temporal? And what we are doing here is we're focusing and we're saying, this is eternal and I'm going to put everything that I have on what is eternal. And we're doing it together by looking at the word of God. And you'll hear things from other places about what that is. It's like, ah, you focus too much on the Bible. You got to do other things. Like what? Tell me. Golf? What is more important than what God has expressly breathed out for his people to hear and take in and be changed by? There's glaring evidence that when we see the holiness of God, there is a changing of the heart. So here, the question is, is your heart changed? And if it hasn't been changed, have you seen the holiness of God? Because here's the next point. Isaiah did not choose God. We're just looking at this passage, but Isaiah did not choose God. In fact... Remember last week, he threw down curses on himself when God's holiness was manifest and declared through the seraphim. He's like, woe is me. He didn't go, yes, God, finally. You go, woe is me. He couldn't take it. He didn't like it. But when the seraph touched his lips with the burning coal from the altar... He was cleansed. Do you hear that? It was when the seraph touched his lips with the burning coal from the altar. That's when Isaiah was cleansed. And then we see verse 8. God musing, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then we see an exclamation by Isaiah. A response saying, here I am. Send me. We see that God chose Isaiah. This is a miracle that only God can do what he did for Isaiah. Only God can take what is dead and make it alive again. Only God can take a spirit that is fallen and corrupt utterly and make it clean and pure. And this is what God did to Isaiah. And then verse 9, it goes, and he said, go and say, to, say this to people. So now Isaiah is like, here I am, here I am, send me. So excited. Finally, I get to participate. The visio day to the missio day. There was no Latin back then, but I'm sure he was thinking somewhere along the line. I got the vision of God. Now I can walk out in the mission of God. What is the mission of God? He goes, go and say this to, to, go and say to this people. This is the message. This is the mission I'm sending you on, Isaiah. Verse 9. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. 
make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This is a very difficult passage, and it's a very confusing passage to many. So maybe easier to just skip, you know? What's the message? Yes, God cleanse me, so I must go. God cleanse me, everybody. But that's not the message that is given to Isaiah. The message that's given to Isaiah is keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. This is the preacher's nightmare. This is any messenger's nightmare. What is the news that you want me to spread? Keep on hearing, but don't understand. In fact, we know that people must not have liked this message, must have gotten tired of this simple and terrible message. Because even in chapter 26, we, we see that maybe they, put him, they brought him down from the royal court down to just teaching babies. It's like, we can't have you here talking to adults with this really dumb message. We're going to demote you, and you're only going to talk to people that can't even understand your language. But this passage is special because every single gospel author wrote about this passage. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John reference this exact passage. Not only that, also in Acts, Acts chapter 28, this passage is referenced in regards to the Holy Spirit. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is in regards to Jesus. Acts is about the Holy Spirit. It, this is just an amazing passage because God talks about us, and you know, and then we see the Trinity at play when when it's in the New Testament. But in 2 Timothy chapter three verse seven, there's also another notion that people will always be learning but never arriving at the knowledge of the truth. Always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. That is quite the terrible message. That's not going to get you elected into any political office. That is not something that is going to be popular with the masses. You're always going to be learning, but you're never going to know the truth. And this is the message that Isaiah has been given. Why is that? Why is that? In fact, God never says why, though. God never teaches Isaiah why, and nor does Isaiah ask why? Which is really interesting. Isaiah doesn't go, why is this the message? After he sees God and is changed and he wants to participate in the mission that God sends him on, he doesn't ask why. He receives what he's supposed to say. And there is some deep, profound truth if we just take this and keep on reading it. Keep on reading it and ask that God would turn and heal our eyes, heal our ears, heal our hearts. And only God can do that. How do we know that this is something that is incredible? Because there are some truths that are being given to us. Here's one of the truths. In Luke chapter 10, regarding this, and we did this on Ash Wednesday, if you were here, uh, people have always thought the Good Samaritan parable have always the people always take that as a standalone. Like this is just a parable. Here's the story. But if I ask you what the context was before and after, 
It's hard for people to be like, oh, this was the context, which is not how you're supposed to read the Bible. So many people reading the Good Samaritan think it's about social justice or helping the poor or, you know, make sure you do something good to someone else. That's the point of the passage. But in fact, if you read the passage, it has nothing to do with that. What does it have to do with? It has something to do with something pretty incredible. And I said this on Ash Wednesday, when people hear that, like, are you saying that we shouldn't help the poor? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. We are to help the poor. There's so many parts in the Bible where it says that. But if you're saying that passage specifically is about that, I'm saying it is not. That is not the point. If you look at it, it's about the law and the lawyer coming to test Jesus. What's the law? How do you follow the law? And then who is your neighbor? And then that, that passage comes on. Uh, that uh, parable comes on to play. And so here is what happens before the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is what Jesus himself says. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. Or who the Father is except the Son and Anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 22. I want you to listen. If you're not paying attention, this is going to go whoop right over your head. All things, this is what Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. After Jesus says this, then he turns to the disciples and he says privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it. Or to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Do you see there's something really similar to the Isaiah passage and this is what's going on. And then we see the passage, the next verses. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And then he tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's the context. That's what we need to understand if you want to really read the Good Samaritan. So what was the Good Samaritan about? The Good Samaritan was about the law. And the law is a reflection of God's holiness. The Good Samaritan was about God's holiness. But here's what that means. Number one, only God can give you God. Only God can give you God. Isaiah couldn't add anything to the statement. Whatever God gave him. Because if he had changed it or added to it or subtracted from it, then it would have been a mockery of the truth of what God has spoken. It wouldn't have been a real change that Isaiah himself experienced. Only God can give you God. What he says is truth. His law reflects his holiness. And number two, Unless God gives, we are empty. Unless God gives, we are empty. We cannot manipulate God into owing us or giving us anything. He doesn't owe us anything except he does say 
he will give us wrath and punishment for sin. He doesn't owe us anything except wrath and punishment. If everyone got what they deserved, it would be justice. And that justice is eternal punishment. We are completely and absolutely at the mercy of God. If we do not understand this, we are as blind as those that think the Good Samaritan is simply about helping someone and then feeling that false satisfaction that because you gave that small amount of time, you are now right with God. That is not what the parable is about. And that's not how we make ourselves right with God. In John chapter 3, verse 27, even John the Baptist got this and he goes, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Are you hearing this? God can only give you God. And if God doesn't give, then we are empty. We are at the mercy of God because we are sinners. That is something we need to understand. That is what's try- that's, what, that's what people are trying to kind of diminish and mold into something else. Ah, that's, uh, you're so wrathy. You know, that's so 80s. Why don't you just go out and preach on, on Times Square and, <clears throat> I don't know, stand on a soapbox. There aren't soapboxes anymore, I, I think. If, you, if I said soapbox now, our young people might be like, soapbox? You mean, you mean like this, where I take out my soap bar? No, but long time ago. Okay, never mind. But um, when I was a wee last, no, it didn't exist either. But, <laughs> and we try to change things from the word of God. And what we do is when we start giving this message that we have changed, try to make it softer or easier to swallow, that's exactly what Paul is saying. Now all we're doing is the person standing up here is just a politician, just trying to tickle your ears, just trying to make you love it. And like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds so good. I'm so encouraged today. Now I can go home and be encouraged. While all the while we are on the wide road It's not truth if it's not from God. Jesus himself says, I am the truth. And so what is Isaiah's response? So what is Isaiah's response? If we understand this and we are at the complete mercy of God because of our sinful nature, because we are not holy, we are separated. I said this last week, we're trying to mix milk and orange juice. It just doesn't mix. We are separate from him in such a more infinitely wider way. How? Do we respond? And how does Isaiah respond? Isaiah responds by saying, Then I said, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? This was not an objection or said in indignation. He wasn't bitter when he said this. There's no commentator that thinks that. The people think that perhaps other people may think that. But it's not true because we see the rest of the passage. Like I said, you got to see it in context. But there is a note of sorrow. There is sorrow when the response is, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, is reminiscent of a psalm that we may be familiar with. And the psalm goes, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep 
of death. How long, O Lord, is a plea? And this is how God answers. And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, there's just trees, right, whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. <clears throat> there is judgment coming. Judgment that is rightful because of sin. A lot of people will think, that's not fair. That's not fair. I think judgment is not fair. In fact, looked at a 2016 uh, Pew survey of Presbyterians. And there is uh, two different surveys done from pastors and done with non-pastors, meaning members of the church. And in this 2016 service, when we talked about uh, who gets saved, a quarter of the people think that God is going to save everyone. And you think there will be a difference between the pastor and the member. There is no difference. It was negligible by like 2 or 3%. A quarter of the people in Presbyterian churches that are teaching the word of God and saying God is eventually going to save everyone, they obviously haven't read any of the Bible because nowhere in the Bible does it say that. In fact, the person that talks about divine judgment and hell the most isn't Isaiah. It's Jesus Christ. So this is where we have to perk up our ears and listen as best we can, knowing that only God can open these ears. And once we recognize that, we see the terribleness of the wrath that is coming. The terribleness of the wrath that is coming. Even if you think there's a little bit of hope left, boom, it's burned again. And what's fallen will not get back but, however, here is the most interesting part of this passage. It ends with the sentence, the holy seed is a stump. There is divine judgment coming, but divine judgment isn't the last word. What's the last word? Mercy. Divine judgment isn't the last word. What's the last word? Mercy. Mercy is embodied in the holy seed. The holy, meaning that is incorruptible, seed that is offspring, is the last word. The holy seed is the last word. And if you were in Isaiah's time and you're reading this about the seed, it would have brought you all the way back to what holy meant, what is holy, and the seed all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where he says, where, where God would say the offspring would now stomp on evil's head. And destroy him. The holy that is incorruptible, seed that is offspring, is the last word. And now we know to those whose ears have been opened, eyes have been opened, hearts that have been opened, that this is talking about Jesus Christ. We can go all the way down to nothing, and we can be just desolated. And it would be right that that happens. We would have nothing to say, saying, look, I did this. That's like the same thing as saying a murderer being like, I know I murdered like thousands of people. However, I did remember my kid's birthday when he was three. 
It doesn't compare. It, this is not, you can't say that and say like, oh, you're going to punish me for the thousand murders when I remember my kid's birthday when he was three? That's not going to make a good argument. When we are desolate, no one will be able to say to God, that was an unfair judgment. However, because God is merciful, because the judgment isn't the last word from him, his last word is mercy. And we went over this exodus. God goes, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. God chooses to show mercy. The last word is Jesus Christ. The last word is Jesus Christ. And those that are to hear and those that are now to live are those that know Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know who the Holy Seed is? Because God is showing us and showing the world that that is the last word. Again, even if we were desolated, what could we possibly say? That our ritual saved us? That some action we do for one hour on Sunday is going to save us? Or do we believe that it is not our rituals that save us, but it is purely by the mercy of God that we are saved? We couldn't even bear to stay in his presence, but he first has mercy, sends the seraphim, blazing speed, six wings, very blazingly fast. That's what I can imagine. And boom, heals us so that we can now participate in what has happened to Isaiah we see that God does through Jesus Christ to all his believers. This is what God was showing to Isaiah, that Jesus is the last word. And this is what we have to remember. We, we're not supposed to placate to the people and the culture of today. What we're supposed to do is share the truth. And when we share the truth, that is love. When I say to a brother that's wrong, it's not because I hate him. I shared this before, but this is a story I will never forget because it humbled me. And Chinsuk's here, but every time we go to the gym, I will remember that story. And I remind him of that because I feel like I haven't loved this brother enough. Because I didn't want to tell him he was wrong. Yeah, let him do what he wants to do. This is in the gym, by the way, if it was church then. No, I'm just, I'm just saying, but the point is, he was doing bicep curls. I kid you not, he was doing bicep curls. And he was only going down halfway. He wasn't going down all the way to do his bicep curls. This, in the world of lifting, is an unforgivable sin. And um, he was only going halfway. It's because the weight is heavy and all that stuff. And we were tired. And then there is this huge Russian man that comes and starts yelling at Junsuk with a very thick Russian accent. All the way down, man. <laughs> That's what he says. And we're just like, what is going on? It's all the way down. No one in the beach cares how much you bench all, uh, or how much you uh, curl. All the way down. And I'm like, I was thinking it all this time, but I didn't care enough to even say that to my precious brother. That, that, that's a silly story, I suppose. But I'm reminded, I am human. I don't like telling people that they are wrong. But it challenges me. Do I even love you then? You're not even getting the full bicep curl lift. Your biceps are going to be saggy. 
And ever since that, Chinsuk's bicep has been just popping out of his jacket because he's been going all the way down, man, right? I joke around because this isn't bicep curls. This is life. Why are we changing the truth to try to maybe spare some feelings? That's not the truth. The truth is what God says to us in his word. And that's what we follow. Because the truth then is so much more sweeter when we see that the holy seed is its stump. That divine judgment as horrible as it is. Isn't the last word that Jesus has made a way for us. Then it's so much more sweeter. Infinitely dare I say. More sweeter. That's the message we are now to proclaim. Truth in love. Because that's how we received it from God. God didn't go, oh, you know, you're really horrible. If I left you the way you are and I gave you more power, I know you want more power, but it's all for the wrong reasons. You would stand up murdering millions, but it's okay. It's okay. He doesn't say that. He goes, this is not me. This is not holy. This is sinful and it deserves justice and wrath. And he says that. But that's not the last word. The last word is mercy because we have a merciful God. And so this is the message that I give to you. Don't stay in his wrath, but receive his mercy by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord. We know later on Jesus Christ will come, take on form of a full form of human. He wasn't half, half man, half God. He was fully human and he walked on this earth never sinning once, being tempted in all the ways that humans would get tempted, even more so but never sinning, and yet what was born upon him was the sin of the world, and he was crucified, the most humiliating death that he did not deserve. It was so humiliating. If you do any research on the Roman Empire, they saved crucifixion for people that weren't human that were so far below human. They were the worst of criminals. They would never crucify a Roman citizen. They would crucify people that weren't even human in their standards. In fact, they crucified dogs. That's a real fact. Romans would crucify dogs because it just wasn't something you do to humans. And this is how our Savior, the most perfect, beautiful person to have ever walked on this earth, died. It's because he was the last word. And he receives this punishment so that we can have mercy. That's the incredible message that we have to give. Receive this mercy. There's only one way. And that way is Jesus Christ. If you're listening to this and you have not fully received him as Lord and Savior, I want to tell you by the Holy Spirit, you can respond saying, I want to make you Lord and Savior of my life. Eternity is in your hands, and I want to follow you. 
My heart cannot follow you by itself. You know what? I think it's true. People would look at me and see me as like, oh, look at Pastor Eugene giving up all his time because he's a big nerd and wants to read commentaries and the Bible. He definitely deserves mercy. Have you not read Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah was way better than me, and he was like, woe is me. I would go nowhere compared to Isaiah, and yet even Isaiah fell hard at the holiness of God. No one fits that standard except God. And God comes to us and says, I am the last word, and he shows us his mercy. Reach out to God. And God is merciful. He will reach out to you and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord gathered, we see this incredible, incredible news of what our fallen state is. However, not just that the good news that you are merciful. And so, Lord, as we turn to our hearts, we pray that your spirit would do a spirit work in it. That our hearts would be changed just as Isaiah's was. That we would love the things no longer of this world, but we would love the things that you love and thereby participating in this incredible mission you give your people. Let's take this time to pray and reflect. What is in your life that you think is so much better than God that you need to repent of? You may not think it or say it, but you live it then. You act like something is better than God. Then that's something we need to repent of. God's discipleship calls out for everything that we have, not just a small sliver or portion, or a fraction, but everything. So take this time in prayer by the power of the Holy Spirit to give everything that you have to God, knowing that it is God who will make your eyes see, have your ears hear, and understand with your hearts. Let's pray.